If you have a Bible, get to Luke 5. We're going to be in the first 11 verses of Luke 5. Since March 15th, we've been in a series called Jesus, the Mission Begins, and we are in a series that's going from March to August, looking at Luke chapter 3 through 9, and the whole theme of that section of the Gospel of Luke is the mission of Jesus beginning, and we see that here in chapter 5 as Jesus is calling Peter into that mission. Over the past month, you've probably seen the phrase on social media, possibly multiple times. Maybe you've heard it from other people. Maybe you have mentioned it yourself, and it's this. The church has left the building. Now, that phrase is not a new one. Uh, Years ago, I had it on the back of a t-shirt that I'd gotten from dear missionary friends that I love, this reminder that Jesus has, or the church has left the building. It is this reminder that the church, the body of Christ, the family of God, has been called to live life on mission. We've been called to go and make disciples, to not just gather with one another and grow in our faith and give of our lives, but to go, to be on mission wherever we are, wherever the Lord has providentially placed us. Around Crosspoint, we call it being driven to reach people. The church has left the building. Now, we look forward to the day that we can gather in this building where we can gather in kitchens and gather in living rooms and in backyards and in homes as well as this property. So it's not an either-or where one truth is pitted against the other truth or one is subject to the other. It is a both-and that we want to gather and we want to go. Gather on a consistent basis. We see this in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Acts 2, elsewhere in Scripture, called to gather faithfully, but also called to go and make disciples as a way of life. And today in Luke 5, we will read of Jesus calling Peter to follow him. And Jesus says to Peter in verse 10, from now on you will be catching people. Or your translation may say fishing for men or fishing for people. Not fishing for fish anymore, but catching people, gathering in people. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. He came to proclaim good news of great joy for all the people, good news that salvation was possible through faith alone and by grace alone and in Christ alone. He came to rescue and to redeem you and me, people born in need of rescue and redemption. The Father sent the Son, and so now the Son sends His followers on mission. So listen, you can't call yourself a follower of Jesus and yet somehow say that you're not also on the same exact mission that Jesus is on. You can't say, well, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, but but that mission is for him or for other Christians, but not for me. Or maybe I'll be more mission-minded when I get older or I enter another stage of life, or the kids go back to school, or I have kids someday, or I'm married, or I'm no longer married, or when I get to this stage of life, when I'm actually able to be closer than six feet to someone around me, then I'll be on mission. Brother and sister in Christ, if you're claiming that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then He is also the leader of your life, and He's leading you into mission. And he's been doing it since the days of of here in Luke 5. I want to read through the passage, all 11 verses. I want to teach through it. And then I want to draw our minds to four applications that we have as missionaries, things we can take from this passage, take home, and apply. 
Because again, if you're watching this morning and you're a Christ follower, you're a missionary. That is not an, an identity that you take on later on, but it's an identity that you have now as a disciple maker, as a missionary, and you will live out that identity as long as the Lord gives you breath and life. And if you're watching and you have yet to receive, yet to place your faith and trust in Jesus, and you couldn't say that you trust in Him as Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you that you're not watching by accident. This is not just a by-chance type of moment. The God who created the stars in the sky sent His Son to pay the price for your sin, to rise again on the third day, proving He was the Son of God and that He is worthy of your trust. The Son has been sent so that you might believe in Him, trust in Him, receive forgiveness, new life in Him. And I pray you come to know Him as Lord and Savior this morning. If you have questions about what that means, would you please reach out to me and I'd love to talk further. And so today we're talking about God's people being on mission and we're doing so because people matter. Because the sinless Son of God came in the flesh bearing the wrath of God for our sin and we believe that there is nothing greater, nothing greater than knowing Jesus Christ and being known by Him. Luke 5, Jesus is speaking and teaching to ordinary people like you and me. The fishermen that he will call out to follow him are not out of the ordinary people. They are ordinary people. They've been made in the image and likeness of God just like you and I. And they are born in need of rescue, salvation, redemption just like you and I. Verses 1 through 11, Luke 5 in the CSB translation. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let, your nets, let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. So verses 1 through 3. Again, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by the lake. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got, down, he got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. So the popularity of Jesus is increasing. Crowds are growing. The word is spreading about this carpenter from Nazareth that does miracles, that teaches with authority. 
The crowds are pressing in to the point where Jesus, in order to see the crowds, has to get into the boat and step away from the people because they're also not following the social distancing guidelines of six feet. He, he has to step away from them. Is that funny? Not funny? I have no idea. I have no read on the room. There's four other people in this room and a bunch of pictures. I'm going to assume that any random joke I throw in in the coming weeks are just met with absolute hilarity and laughter on your part. Personal space is being invited or invaded. So Jesus steps into the boat, into the water to teach the crowds as well as to teach Peter. Jesus was a master at using opportunities, natural opportunities to teach. Here he's going to teach about mission with the picture of fishing. Parents, I know that there's a lot pressing in on you right now. Maybe you're trying to work from home. Maybe you've been laid off. Maybe you're trying to educate at home. You're the technical wizard when online learning hits a hiccup. Maybe you're dealing with subjects that you haven't thought about for a lot of years. All the things. And yet at the same time, you probably have some windows of time with your kids that you didn't have before. Because before it was go, go, go. Let's move people. Let's move people. We got to go. We got to get to this. We got to get to there. And, And a lot of those evenings have been paused. Maybe you have a lunch hour or this window at breakfast or lunch or in the middle of the afternoon that you never had before. I want to encourage you, lovingly encourage you, redeem that time. Redeem that time. Whenever we dedicate children to the Lord, we charge parents with different passages from Scripture and Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 is one of them. I want to read to you this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. So parents, welcome and receive truth. Walk, abide in Jesus, walk with Jesus, and then repeat that to your children. We pass it on. We hand it down. And we do that as a way of life. As we sit, as we walk, as we lie down, as we get up. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus here who used something as ordinary as fishing to teach about deeper truths. Share with your kids right now. What are you learning about the Lord? What are you learning about your relationship with Him? What's He exposing in in how you understand the church or how you understand mission or what it looks like to love your neighbor? Your, Your kids should see and hear you praying. Don't just pray in private. But pray out loud and don't just pray at these set times during the day, but pray as a way of life. Your kids should be able to hear and see you praying. Disciple making of the next generation occurs as you sit, as you walk, as you lie down, as you get up. In the midst of all these seasons, including this one. This is what Jesus does here. On a boat, in the water, teaching the crowds using this opportunity to teach about mission with the analogy or picture of fishing. 
verses 4 and 5, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Now at first, we might think that Simon Peter's getting a little snarky here, a little passive-aggressive. Maybe there's an element to that. We've worked hard all night long and we haven't caught a thing but you want us to let down our nets again. Maybe there's an element to that. But Peter also addresses Jesus as master there in verse 5. Master meaning commander, leader, boss. It's a word that recognizes authority. Kids, as much as I just charge your parents to make disciples at home, please hear me. Honor your father and mother in this time. They've never walked through a pandemic before. Walk with them in grace. Receive their truth. Welcome that godly counsel in their life. And if they're talking to you right now and saying, hey, are you listening? Just welcome that, that truth into your life in this moment. Peter's saying, we've worked hard all night long. Jesus, the best fishing is at night. I, I've been in the boat longer than you have. I've been in the realm of fishing longer than you have. You're a carpenter. I think I know more about fishing. I think I know more, more about these waters and yet, even if Peter's thinking that, he can't deny the reality that on his own knowledge, he hasn't caught a lick. He has not caught a thing. Master, I have potential excuses as to why I think I know more, but if you say so, I'll let down my nets. If you say so, I'll do what you say I should do. If you say so, I'll do it according to your word. If you say so, I'll trust that you no more than me. Loved ones, do you believe that Jesus knows more than you do? I know it seems like an obvious answer, maybe even a silly question, but I think it's one that you and I need to consider. Do you actually believe that Jesus knows more than you do in all things? Because I think we are quick to maybe say that Jesus knows more than we do in areas of faith or doctrine or the scriptures or spiritual matters. But then when it comes to all these other areas of life, we tend to think that our wisdom rivals his. But in that thinking, here's what we get wrong. We incorrectly divide life up into secular and sacred. We begin to silo life up. When in reality, when we are saying with our lips that Jesus is Lord and leader of our life, then he is Lord and leader over all of our life. His wisdom is to reign over all of our life. He knows more than you and I do in all things. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than, you, than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you believe and do you trust and do you live your life in a way that says, Lord, your ways, your thoughts are higher than mine? In this story in Luke 5, I think it's safe to say Jesus hasn't been fishing as long as Peter has. And yet, Jesus still knows more. Because Jesus is master and Lord and infinite, the fullness of God dwelling in him. So Jesus knows more than you and I do as it relates to work, future, marriage, parenting, life, death, sexuality, money, 
reconciliation, and every single subject you could come up with. He knows more, and it's not even close. It's like he's teaching the honors class, writing the content and curriculum for it, and we're still trying to figure out how to hold a pencil. It's a whole other echelon. It's not even close. We're not just tailing in behind. It's as high as the heavens are, as separate as the heavens are from the earth, so his ways and thoughts are higher than ours. So, loved one, let's be a people who take him at his word. If you say so, Jesus, we will live our lives in accordance to your ways, and our joy will be greater. God will be more glorified. Imagine what your life, your work, your family tree, this church would look like if together, collectively, we said we are a people who take God at his word. If you say so, we will go. As it relates to mission, if you say so, we will make disciples. If you say so, we will be spirit-empowered witnesses. If you say so, that we are sent just as you have been sent, Jesus, we will go. We'll go for your name's sake. We'll walk by faith in your infinitely wise words. Verses 6 and 7, when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink the night before nothing. Now so many fish that two boats can barely hold it. Evidence here that Jesus knows fishing better. He knows their needs better. He knows his disciples better. He knows the future better. Whose knowledge will you depend upon from this point forward? What source are you going to run to to gain knowledge? Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundation. It's, it's when we bow our knees to the Lord saying, Lord, we need you. We need your wisdom. We, we, need, your, we need to depend upon you. We want, to be, we want our lives to glorify you. That's where wisdom begins, when, when we humble ourselves before the Lord. Now the fishing and the haul of the nets is going to become secondary and he's going to shift to talking about mission. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I am a sinful man. Why, why this response? Well, Peter understands that and sees the supernatural ability of Jesus. His understanding of who Jesus is will increase and grow over time. We'll see that unfold in this gospel. And here in this moment, Peter is humbled. And he's bowing before the authority, the superiority of Jesus. When faced with Jesus' infinite knowledge, it reveals the, the holiness of Christ and thus reveals the unholiness of Peter. Peter sees this gap between him and the Lord. A gap that he cannot bridge on his own apart from the grace, mercy, and compassion of the Lord. And he addresses them there as Lord. Later on in the story in Luke, Peter will make another bold confession about who Christ is, and yet his understanding is growing here. John Calvin said, Man never attains to a true knowledge of himself until he has contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. This is where Peter is. He's seen the visible face of the Son of God in all its radiance, in all its holy light, and it is exposing the unholiness in Peter. 
And this gap has produced fear, reverence, awe. Peter saying, my heart is not clean. I am unworthy to be in your presence. Verse 9, for he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Notice what Jesus says. Don't be afraid. Put away your fear. The holiness of Christ has caused fear to rise up in Peter's heart, and yet Jesus tells him to stop being fearful. The holiness of God is is evident, invisible in the God-man Jesus Christ. And Jesus is now sitting in the boat with Peter. Holiness has come near. This is the gospel. God is holy, perfect, flawless, righteous in every way. He is eternal and infinite. His holiness exposes our unholiness. His light exposes our darkness. And apart from Jesus, we can't be hanging out in the same fishing boat with a holy God. His holiness exposes our desperate need for grace and compassion and mercy to be extended to us. And the good news of Jesus, the gospel, is that it has come near Grace, compassion, forgiveness, mercy has been embodied in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Holy One has taken on flesh so that through His birth, life, death, and resurrection, He might save and redeem sinners, you and me. So that now, through faith alone and by grace alone, we would not walk with our identity as a sinner, but as a saint and as a servant of Christ. And then we'd be commissioned and sent out as missionaries, as disciple-makers, to go rescue more sinners because the good news is of great joy for all the people. God's grace is at work here in this moment in Luke 5. Peter's being met with grace, being told not to fear, being called out to a lifelong mission. Jesus said to Simon, from now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything and followed him. A lifelong mission of gathering in and rescuing people who were in need of salvation, who were in need of forgiveness, hope, and new life. On your screen is our picture of what it means to live 3D. Devoted to Jesus, dedicated to one another, driven to reach people, giving us a pathway of what it looks like for us to be followers of Christ. And it begins on that left side when we repent and believe the good news, when we, when we become followers of Jesus Christ. There was a moment for you who are in Christ where you became aware, much like Peter did, of your own brokenness, your own unholiness, your, your sin, the need of forgiveness and restoration and atonement. And we see the grace and mercy and forgiveness found in Christ alone in that moment, and we put our trust in Him. We become Christ followers. And then it comes full circle. If you follow the arrows around, it comes full, full circle as we live out our identity as disciple makers who show and tell of the gospel. It comes full circle to remind us that there are more people who have yet to become followers and disciples and so on. This mission continues. And we don't leave the identities as followers and disciples and members and worshipers and workers. We don't 
leave those identities, we walk them out, we live those out as the people of God alongside others. It comes full circle to remind us that that we've been called to fish for people, to gather in people. From now on, Jesus says to Peter, I love that phrase. And we see how Peter takes that to heart right away. It led to action, change, a new direction, a new purpose, a new call. The priorities of Peter's life have changed, and he is not half-hearted about it. He's all in. The priority of gathering in fish has switched to gathering in people. And Peter gladly leaves everything, follows Jesus because he's fully aware that Jesus knows more. He's Lord, he's trustworthy, and at the same time, he's come near and told them not to fear. So I'll learn from you, Jesus. I'll follow you. Peter's saying with his actions that this mission is worthy of the rest of the years of my life. And loved one, the mission of Jesus to seek and save, to go and teach, to rescue and redeem, to show and tell is worthy of the rest of your life. It's worthy of the investment of the rest of our lives. It's a mission that's played out at any stage of life, any age. As missionaries, I want to encourage us in four things as I look at this text. Missionaries are centered on the gospel. So as a result, they never stop being aware of their own need for God's grace. They are continually pursuing humility before Jesus and are in awe of how that good news is good news to them day in and day out. They continually repent of sin, believe the gospel. They put off this attitude that says, I think I know more. We put that off and we say, no, Lord, we're going to trust in your ways and your thoughts and your wisdom. The gospel says that the Lord is not only at work through his people, but the gospel says that the Lord is at work in his people at the exact same time. And missionaries understand that. Missionaries are also anchored to the word. They live with this attitude of Peter, if you say so. I might have these excuses, but if you say so, I'll align my life with your word. I'll align my life with your knowledge and your ways and your thoughts. Even and especially when they're counterintuitive to what we might think or countercultural to what we see around us or earthly wisdom we get from other people. So missionaries are centered on the gospel, anchored anchored to the word, and they also remain dependent upon the spirit and abide in Jesus. Just as in this story here in Luke 5, the Lord is the one causing the change, gathering in all the fish. Peter's role is to let down the nets. That's his role. To live according to the word, live by faith, but the Lord is is the one doing the work And we see that truth throughout the New Testament. We see it in in John 15. Jesus tells us to abide in him. And when we abide in him, remain in him, we will bear much fruit. If and when we try to operate apart from Jesus, we will bear no fruit, he says. Matthew 28, the great commission to go and teach and baptize. Well, on the bookends of of the great commission are these two powerful reminders. It begins with, Jesus has come with all authority in heaven and on earth. And then on the backside, that Jesus is with us to the very end of this age, 
Two beautiful promises that remind us the Lord is doing the work as we go and teach and baptize. Acts 1.8, we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. And Spirit-empowered witnesses will go to the ends of this earth. Final encouragement. Missionaries can't hold on to their old way of life that is rooted in sin and self and at the same time pursue a new life in Christ. Just like Peter does here, we drop it all. We leave it all. We repent and turn from this old way of life that is rooted in our old creation, in a self-centered living, and we walk in a new way. We walk in a way that reveals this new creation identity in us, in Christ. We walk in a way like, like Paul said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. If there's an action that hinders our testimony as missionaries more than anything else, it is two-faced, hypocritical life. It hinders the testimony We must be a people who say, I'm done with the old way. I'm putting off that old. It was nailed to the cross, buried in a tomb, and I've been raised to life, and I'm walking in a new way, showing and telling of the gospel's impact in my life. Chris and Maddie, you want to come up? Not that many years later, from this moment in Luke, Acts 4 records Peter saying this in the midst of persecution. Verse 12, Acts 4, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And then verse 13, the, persecuted, the people that are persecuting him and John and others say this, When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. May the same be said of us, church, that we have been with Jesus from now on. Father God, I pray that you would enable us to be centered on the gospel, fully aware of your your work in us, how we are in need of your grace, your forgiveness, your new life, how we need to abide in you. I pray that we would be a people anchored to your word, that if you say so, we will go and we will trust that you know more, that your ways and thoughts are higher than ours, that we would be a people dependent upon the Spirit, bowing our knees to the Spirit like that New Testament church saying, Lord, work through us. Be glorified through us. Enable us to be witnesses from our neighborhoods to the nations. And Father, I pray that you would enable us to leave, continually put off that old creation life and that we would walk as new creations in Christ, showing and telling of how good the good news is. May you you enable us to go compelled by love. We trust you. We need you. Be glorified through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.